Welcome to Rugged Theology, a Mile One Mission podcast where we talk theology, church planting, and drink coffee. So guys, welcome to episode four of Rugged Theology. Is that a new hope? I think so, yes. Uh, Yeah, and actually given today, we're going to be discussing kind of a new hope with salvation. Yes, bye. Matt, uh, I have great hopes in you. Is that a new hope? Uh, No, no, I think I've always placed my, my hope in that. Well, let's see if we can change that and actually put your hope in Christ. Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, just to introduce myself, my name is Steve Daw. I'm the director of education for Mile One Mission. My name is Matt Lee. I'm a church planter with Mile One. I am Adam Diamond. I am a intern with Mile One Mission. And my name is David Drover, and I'm also an intern at Mile One Mission. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, the full name is, in fact, Mile One Mission. So again, guys, we've been discussing... Uh, the last couple of weeks about the question of what the gospel is and pretty central to the gospel. And a lot of things that we talked about is the idea of salvation. That seems to be a pretty important thing for what we thought the gospel was, but also it's something that we as evangelicals talk about an awful lot. Now, unfortunately that might not be quite completely understood by everybody out on the street. So For this podcast, we wanted to have a bit of an examination of what salvation is. So does anybody want to take a stab at what salvation is? Sure, I can give it a go. Um, So basically, when we're talking about what salvation is, there's a a couple of kind of foundational behind-the-scenes things you got to know first. Um, And basically, one of them is that we are sinners. We talked about the gospel last week, and we, humanity— people are sinners and that means that we have done evil and that we do evil so when we're in the presence of a holy god and a good god they, those things can't really exist and the punishment for our evil is is death and we can't have a relationship with him because evil and good don't really mesh together well so basically when we talk about salvation it is salva- it's us being saved from the punishment of our sin which is death and it's being what we're being saved to is a relationship with God. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, you know, salvation. You know, again, we have to be. You're talking about being saved. Hear that a lot. There has to be something we're being saved from. And I think that's a key thing that we need to uh, talk about. You know, what what is it we're being saved from? Uh, a lot of people will probably be like, "Saved? What do you mean? Well, what do I need to be saved from? Why am I saved? You know, what?" What, what does that mean? And again, like you said, no, we're we're sinners, um, and the holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. So you know, we we need to we need to be saved by God. We need to have that sin taken care of, and by placing our faith by believing in Jesus and who He says He is and what He's done, we're saved by Jesus. And now I want to tease that out a little bit because it's not just uh, that has. In built into it a whole bunch of different kinds of assumptions about what we were saved from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, first and foremost, the most clear one was would be, as Dave said, death. We are saved from death by Jesus Christ. Now, last time I checked, most Christians still die. Mm. 
Uh, it's been 2,000 years since Christ rose again from the dead, and we still die, I mean, physically speaking. Yep. Yeah, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so that sounds really, really nice. Mm. I would like to live forever, obviously. Um, but what does that mean specifically when we're talking about the world we live in right now? I mean, like I said, I go to funerals of Christians. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I don't, again, I don't think it's saying that we don't die right now. Um, but we believe that on the cross, when, uh, when Jesus died, he took out the wrath of God in our place, um, and he was risen from the dead, <laughs> that uh, death was defeated. Um, and God, we see as we read through Scripture, God is more concerned about the spiritual than he was the physical. So yes, death has been defeated because by placing our faith in Jesus, um, we will be resurrected to eternal life. So that's what we are saved to, to a life eternally with God. Um, so ultimately, death, yes, has been defeated. We still die, but that sting of death, that pain that you feel when someone dies close to you, um, ultimately that's gone if you're a Christian because you know that there's more after this. There's more after death. Death isn't the end. Okay. Well, that's, that. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, we, we are saved then from the pun just punishment of sin in death. Is there anything else we're saved from? Yes. Well, I mean, the reason I say that is because I do run into a lot of people who will say that, you know, the Christian life is about a life in community and it's a life in knowing God, and mm -hmm. we mentioned the separation from God that was removed by salvation. Um, is that another thing that is intended by salvation? To be saved from separation from God and from one another? Saved from the wrath of God as well, yeah. right? And so like, you see a great example back in the Old Testament in the Exodus, right? When, when the Israelites would put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts, when the angel, no, when was it the angel of death? Yeah, I guess so. Right, when the angel of death would pass over. Messenger of death. Literally. Yeah, that's right. When he would pass over, um, the blood would cover them um, from the impending judgment. And so in the same way when Christ died, his blood was spilt as that covering from the judgment that's rightly due to us because of our, our disobedience and our sin. Um, and so as Dave was talking about earlier, um, as as sinful you know, men and women, uh, humans, we... We deserve uh, the judgment that, that you know God ultimately pours out upon us. But you know, thankfully, through Christ and through the spilling of His blood, we're we're covered by by that. Um, and so that, that's that's another element of, of salvation, right? Uh, you're you're not only saved from the you know e eternal death, uh, but you're also saved from the wrath of God, which which is you know due us. Well, and I mean that also leads into a third point, I think, because we're also saved then from the enmity of God. I mean, God would be, being holy, have a settled dislike, hatred of evil. I yeah, mean, um, Romans, I mean, just type it, en being enemies of God, Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? So we were, we were enemies of God. And talking about being reconciled, you know, that separation between us and God, God's the one that made things right 
we didn't make things right. And that's, that's what we find in salvation is God making things right for his creation. Um, through second Corinthians five eighteen says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, so, you know, part, part of salvation is God reconciling us to himself, making things right again. We, we messed up when we were in the garden. I mean, most people know the story of Adam and Eve, the serpent. They may not know the full details of the story, but some general gist of the story. Um, and when we ate the fruit, the, the forbidden fruit, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, that was a sin. God said, you know, don't eat from one fruit. We ate from that one fruit. And that sin separated us from God. And we've, we've, it just permeated us. It, we, we've been sinful ever since we were born sinful. And God fixed that. He, he wanted to fix that. He wasn't going to just leave us to just wallow in our, in our sin. Yeah, and I mean, all these things that we're teasing out seem to be central parts of what salvation is. I, I, I want to be careful that we don't imagine that, you know, you can pick and choose some of these, you know, as really what salvation yeah. is about, and other parts of it aren't what really salvation is about. Because the fact that we are saved from God's wrath, just wrath, is the reason that we are saved from death, because God, the wages of sin is death. The reason that we are reconciled to God is because the enmity that once lay between us has been removed. I mean, I'd even add uh, the fear that we would, that we should at least naturally have towards seeing a good and holy God mm -hmm. would also be removed because the fact is, if this salvation thing, if Jesus really is the person who took the, the wrath that I deserved on himself... I don't need to worry about God taking the wrath out on me, so I can actually come before God. I can be, uh, I can seek after God. I don't have to be scared of the God that runs stuff. So we have a number of things so far that we are saved from. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. What do you guys think of this definition of, of salvation? So a definition of the Christian doctrine of salvation would be the deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin, which is granted to those who accept by faith God's conditions of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Salvation is available in Jesus alone and is dependent on God alone for provision, assurance, and security. I'd put up a like emoji to that one, I think. Nice. Yep. 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 I think it's pretty, pretty yeah. solid. And so next week on Mile One Missions Rugged Theology. <laughs> We're not done yet, dude. You've just raised a whole bunch more questions. Yeah, yeah see, I, I think as the people, you know, I think we kind of take for granted is what salvation is. Um, instead of actually, you know, taking a look at it. Um, I mean, often we preach, and rightfully so, you know, repent of your sins, you know, God loves you, God wants to forgive you. Like, you know, you, you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, that, you know, you need to accept Jesus, you need to believe in him and what he's accomplished because you can't do it yourself. But we can often take that for granted and not realize all of the multiple things that God has saved us from. Mm -hmm. You know, like, we, we've, we've named off, what, like five so far? Yeah, and to be honest, each of those five, we could probably tease out even more. Absolutely. More stuff in, in, involved. I mean, just from the fact that because we are saved from the enmity of God... Uh, I had a post on my Facebook today, with, you know, uh, about how I don't have to take myself ser seriously anymore because I can take Christ very seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's also part of the salvation. 
I don't need to be worrying about myself and my own uh, value before other people because my value is defined in, in God. And that's another thing that salvation grants me because I am not, I'm saved from the situation where I define my own value. God has mm. defined my value and he has defined my value as of infinite value because he paid for me with Jesus Christ, which is a different situation entirely. I mean, we could keep going for hours. This sounds really, really good. And, you know, yeah. as, as people, I'm guessing most people would want to have something like this. Now, that, though, gets me to another kind of question here. It may be the best we, shot. How do we get it? The salvation thing. For one low payment, no, 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 not, no. not one. You need three low payments. <laughs> That's oh. heresy. <laughs> yeah, that definitely is heresy. For one high payment of the death of the Son of God. Ooh, Ooh. yeah, that's that's pretty good. See, you guys interrupted me, right? Actually, no, I said for one low payment. Yeah, you said one. one, one <laughs> don't try and play this up. <laughs> yeah, but the question then is going to be: How does that salvation, this work wrought by Jesus for the sake of the saved, whoever they are, mm -hmm. how does that get unified to those who are saved? Well, that, my friend, is a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's through a fancy word called double imputation. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in, like, number th podcast three or two, I talked about party words, and if you're at a Christian party, you know, and you drop these words, you'll be... Right. Double imputation. Right. So, Finish him. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, no. So it, it's done through through the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I'm going to to admit before you guys, this is something that I don't have a firm grasp on, and I think that's that's okay to say, right? Because there are mysteries of God that are hard, and they're exactly exactly that. They're mysteries. So I I can't tell you how this fancy double imputation works from the Godhead's perspective. But what Scripture teaches is that it's through, through the Holy Spirit, right? It's so, and when I when I say double imputation, I mean, on the cross there was, and I don't even like using the word transaction. I feel like Dave, you're going to want to correct me on this, but there was like a, this this exchange, if you will, that on on the cross Christ's righteousness was imputed upon us, and our sin, our sin was imputed to Him. So a great exchange. A very wonderful exchange. A wonderfully great exchange happened on the cross. Some reformers who have coined that phrase, I think. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if we talk about how, I mean, obviously we're coming to the point, you know, you come to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if like I, I have it open here again. Uh, Romans 10, starting at uh, verse 8. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So essentially, I raise my hand during a church service? Yes. That's no. Exactly. No, no, no. That, that, that's your one low payment. No. <laughs> um, no, uh, so basically what it's saying is that you need to truly believe in your heart. In, you know, in who you are, that Jesus is Lord. And uh, you need, well, you, bleh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it actually says, "Confess with your lips, yeah, that Jesus is Lord, and then believe and believe in your heart, yeah, that God, that God, God raised, raised him from, from the, from the dead, dead, and you'll be saved." So we need to believe that God actually did raise Jesus from the dead. Um, this belief in heart results in righteousness, mm-hmm. um, and then by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and also you know in um, confessing our sins, you know, confessing that like, God, I need you, man. Like I can't do this. Like confessing your sin to God. With your mouth, uh, that results in your salvation. Okay. So if I can chime in too, just to add add a little bit to the conversation. No. No. Okay, <laughs> next question, Steve. You don't lead this. Go right ahead, Dave. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I mean, of course, like, again, this is a topic that you can, this is a question that has kind of a, a really large answer, but then you can kind of generalize it and come to a more grounded answer. So there are going to be a lot of different things that we could sit here and talk for hours about. Um, but I think it, when, when it comes to how do we get it, if, if you've been around Christianity at all, you've probably heard the term being born <gasps> again or, or a new creation or, or something. Sorry, what? Is that, are, are we introducing another party word? So, so we, have, we have a quota. We've met that quota. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but the Bible, so particularly John chapter three talks about being born again. Um, Ezekiel 36, it talks, God talks about. Um, giving you a new heart and these kinds of things, right? And again, when we talk about the human condition of being um, sinful, like Jesus says in John 8, he says, we are, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So what happens is, is God, God changes our hearts so that we're born again and, and we receive then, by, we have faith. Yep. When that happens, when we're born again, we have faith and then we receive the salvation and kind of what Matt was talking about where there's this exchange of, when Jesus died on the cross, his perfect righteousness is traded, is exchanged for our sinful nature. So, and when that happens, that's why Paul can write in, in Romans 5 when he says, You're, you were once slaves to sin, but now are slaves to righteousness. Um, and just to clarify, like when you, when you say that, uh, you know, his perfect righteousness was exchanged, it's by, by saying exchange, what Dave is not saying is that in some way, shape or form, Christ's perfect righteousness is depleted. Like he forgoes his righteousness and then takes on, like you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, in no way is his. He doesn't become less righteous because yeah. he's con- he's had this exchange with us. And and perfect. neither do we become perfect. Um, no, there's no. a process of of sanctification, another big word. But but essentially, again, it's it's that change of heart and in the eyes of God through the lens of of Christ's righteousness, we can be viewed as we can be justified. When it comes down to that that judgment of when God looks at us in the final day, we will have we will have done a lot of evil. Yeah. Yet because of Christ, because of that exchange, our guilt will be pardoned because we are seen in the righteousness of Christ, not of our own. Okay, now I've been kind of walking in this evangelical camp for longer than some of you guys have been alive. This sounds a little different than some of the scuttlebutt I've been hearing around. Like, I remember when I first became a Christian, uh, there would be these services I'd go to where they would have, uh, I don't know, long long sermons, and then right after that, they'd have like 15, 20 repetitions of the same chorus mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Here we go. To try to get me to come forward to... Uh, they, they had a whole bunch of different nomenclatures for it. They called it uh, the mercy seat, the altar of God, 
uh, come up to the front of the room, which is actually the much more descriptive <laughs> example of what it of what they'd say, and and then they would lead us in a prayer, mm-hmm. and that when the prayer was done, they would say, "Congratulations, you're now a Christian." Is that the same thing as what you guys are saying now? Not at all. I mean, let's be honest. There's nowhere in Scripture where you find you know a spot spot labeled the sinner's prayer. Nor will you ever hear Paul or any of the other you know, writers or apostles say the sinner's prayer, or Jesus for that matter. Okay. Um, I mean, all, all we're told is that you know, you're, Abraham was counted as righteous for his faith. Um, we've read in Romans that Paul says you have faith. And, you know, we, we are given righteousness by our faith. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We confess our sins for him. And we believe in our heart. You need to truly believe. I mean, I can go out and say I agree with someone on the street, but I could just be giving them lip service. Mm-hmm. I don't have really had to believe what they say. Just same thing. I could probably say a prayer, and I don't really have to believe what I'm saying. We need to actually believe what we're saying and believe, you know, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he did die in our place, and that that's enough for us and that we can't do it on our own. Okay. I'm a bit hesitant, actually. So I think what, what Steve is asking is, um, or I think what he's alluding to is this idea of, of an emotionally driven um, experience that would drive you to salvation. Is, is that kind of what you're asking or you're trying to allude to? Yeah, well, I mean, that's part of what I'm alluding to. I, I think there's a whole bunch of different things going on there. Um, I mean, a lot of these things are coming from 19th century revivalism. I mm. learned some big words when I was, you know, in Bible college. Man, we got a lot of big words in this one. I tell you. Uh, but when I was learning about 19th century revivalism, one of the f- figures of 19th century revivalism, who I will not name here because there are people who call him, who count high, hold him in very high regard that mm. I would probably disagree with. But one of the things he said in his systematic theology was that revival can be planned and that salvation can be brought about by simply moving the affections of the impenitent man to simply make a decision for Jesus Christ. And that in making that decision, God would be then somehow honor-bound to act in your life, and then you know you would be saved. So there is actually a kind of quasi-theology behind this Mm. viewpoint, but it seems to me that from what you guys have been explaining to me that that would put the cart before the horse. Yep. Namely that, you know, you actually have to have God working on you in your heart to give you faith, or at least Mm. in some way you have to have the faith. And that is what actually makes you saved, whether you pray a sinner's prayer, raise your hand, or do neither of it. The question isn't whether or not you've walked an aisle. The question is whether your heart is turned to Christ. Which God will do. Right. God will change your heart. Like, we, we don't do the action of being born. It's, it's what God does. God regenerates our hearts. So then the question is going to be, do we do the act of being reborn? No, salvation is all on God. From beginning, from the point of our calling to our point of our glorification, it's all God. So I, I will say... I agree with you, but I do believe that there is... With a caveat. Yeah. yeah. I do believe that there is human responsibility, but it well, doesn't for sure. Like when you read in God. Acts, Peter, when, he, when Peter's preaching to the... to the. I mean, faith Jesus is necessary. 
Right, but he says repent, and so there, in, in the order of salutis, you see Peter, or you see which is which is the order of salvation. Big word. Yeah, there you go. The order of salvation. Yeah. There, there, there is a an element, like you said, Dave, where, where man is responsible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just in the same way when you read in James, uh, when James is, is saying, you know, when you struggle with with temptation, you fall into temptation. It's your fault. It's not the devil didn't make you do it. God didn't make you fall into temptation. You fell into temptation. In the same way, we have our own responsibility to repent and run to Christ. Yeah. Right. So there, there is that, you know. We are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that remains alone. That's right. Yep. yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I believe that, you know, a little bit differently from you guys in the faith aspect that, you know, we, we, we offer our own faith that God doesn't really give us faith, but um, we, we agree that we need faith. We need faith in Christ, we, and that faith needs to be genuine. Um, you can have an emotional response as long as you truly believe. But we shouldn't twist people's emotions or try to twist their arm and somehow into salvation. And then somehow, like you said, like, you know, that somehow God is honor bound and we're twisting God's arm. Like now you have to save that person. We can't really force God into anything. We're not in that position. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, Adam. And I, I, I agree with you to a certain point. And I, I think to my own salvation story, like, uh, again, I, 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 it's not the time to get into it, but just, you know, 10 seconds, I came to faith over a 56K dial-up modem, right? And I, I did it by reading the book of Revelation. There was no conviction of sin. There was no realization that, at least at the time, there was no realization that, you know, I needed to put my faith in Christ. I was scared. I was scared stiffless that I was going to be on the losing side. And so I, you know, I, so I'm, I'm just, I'm cautious to, to say unequivocally that God can't use situations of emotion to draw people to him right and of course that's not actually the thing that's being said here i mean i'm just saying and i mean this is my own personal uh you know peccadillo i would say that if you actually do have faith you are going to have real emotional responses to the Mm. gospel of jesus christ i mean it it will seem glorious to you that's part of being saved Part of being saved is that you rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and I mean, it's so, so often commanded in Scripture. Yep. But rejoicing doesn't mean that you're saved. Being saved means that you rejoice. Yes, yes. We don't put, like you said, we don't put the cart before the horse. Right. The, the, we we're not saying, you know, we're, we're not saying because you're emotional in a service that you're essentially saved. That's not what we're saying. Um, those emotions, like could be the Holy Spirit convicting you. It could be, uh, it could be God speaking into your heart, or it could be that, you know, you, you have already made a confession of faith and God is, and you're just being reminded you're rejoicing in your faith. Um, and I think that's, that's where we need to, you know, where emotionalism has, you know, run amok a bit is that just because you're having a good service or a good time, it means that something, you know, like God was there. It means that something great was accomplished. But what remains is really going to tell you what was accomplished. There's no point in having a quote-unquote good service if you walk out of that church, of that service, and you're the same person doing committing the same sins. Uh, you know, I could keep going on, but essentially we need to see some sort of fruit produced or some sort of change in you. Salvation, if salvation takes us from being a dead person to a spiritually alive person that were regenerated, then... There has to be a change. Living people breathe. 
and the breathing of a born-again Christian is the works of God. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that would be part of it. Though that, to say, again, I, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be emotional. Mm-hmm. And there is Should. there is a great deal to be said for very emotional preaching, for very emotional songs, mm-hmm. for, yep. you know, that's all really good. The question is going to be, though, the emotion isn't what saves us. Christ saves us, and we are unified to Christ through faith. Amen. Amen. Okay. What, Dave? You don't you don't agree? No, I do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now this leads to another really important question, mm. especially if the uni- unity to Christ's salvation is by faith. And I'm guessing that's a faith that's somehow in us. Is that right? Yep. Can you lose your faith? Bum, no. bum, bum. Well, you, you cannot lose your salvation. Um, okay. And, and the only reason I, I qualified that, I mean, ultimately that's, you can't lose your faith, but people's thoughts of what losing faith looks like may be different. So I'm just going to, if you don't mind me qualifying that. Your faith can wane. And it can increase and decrease. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, no, I wouldn't, you can't lose your, yeah, you can't lose your faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, your faith, like Matt says, your faith may mature over time. It may look different. It may grow. It may decrease. But basically, I don't think a person who was spiritually dead, then made alive by God, can really make yourself dead again because if you lose your faith in God then essentially you're saying I'm going to lose what made me alive doesn't really doesn't really add up to me okay and this is really good from the abstract sense but I mean there is the experience that people have I mean uh, again having been an evangelical for a fairly long time I have friends who seemed to be they would probably have sat in this room with us you know, having these kinds of discussions, explaining this kind of stuff to me yep. the same kind of way. And right now, if you go talk to them, they hate Jesus. They hate everything to deal with Jesus. They think that it was made up by uh, a bunch of... Jesus was a fake person who was made up by a bunch of apostles in the first century to control others. Yeah, my friends are into conspiracy theories. You have some very interesting from friends. I'm a very interesting man. I have interesting <laughs> friends. Um, yeah, um, on, on that, like, Jesus tells us the parable of sowing seeds. We have the, He gives us multiple uh, responses to the gospel and what that looks like. You have seed that falls along the path and is uh, eaten up even before it takes root. So basically, right. people, you preach, you, got, you tell the gospel of, and there's just no reaction whatsoever, like, more or less just, bounces off them uh then you have seed that falls along rocky ground and it's it's shallow roots so someone could be very excited about jesus at first but then walk away you see that faith wasn't true it wasn't it wasn't genuine it didn't it didn't take root in really good fertile ground and then we have uh seed that falls among thorns and grows among the thorns but it gets it gets choked out so it's it's seed that you know you preach the gospel. This person seems to grow, they they seem to you know start to really take their faith a bit deeper, uh, but again, they are choked out likely by things of the world. They're distracted by 
wealth, fame, like family, what, what have you, and they place that above Jesus. So again, that faith is not truly genuine because you're placing something above your Lord and Savior. So it's, yeah. And then your last one is seed that falls on fertile ground. And that's where you have that genuine faith where, you know, Jesus says, they, you know, some crops yield like five times, ten times, you know. But they do yield. They do something. yield. You yield fruit. I want to throw in a curveball. So what if, what if we what if we see someone who, you know, 20-year Christian, 20 years walking with the Lord, encounters a crisis of, of faith, you know, um, say five years, lives a life that doesn't look like it's, uh, you know, reflecting Christ. Something else happens, and now he comes back, and for the rest of his life, he's a dedicated Christian, serving the Lord as much as what he did before he had his Christ of faith. What do we What do we make of those people? So, would you Would you use the term uh, "rededicated your life" for that one? I don't know. I'm asking the question. <laughs> I'm not really sure what you'd have to call it, but I mean, it would be something whereby someone, apparently, at least for five years, six years, Mm -hmm. uh, in some cases maybe 10, 15, 20 years, uh, live as if they are not believers and then um, uh, return to saving faith, I guess. Now the question is going to be, again going from the question of can you lose your faith, can you lose your salvation, for that 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, did they really lose it? Yeah, uh I've, no. I've talking. <laughs> I, I've talked to you, Steve, a couple times about stories I've heard, and you know, I grew up in a denomination where the belief was that yes, you could lose your salvation, and uh, I always kind of struggled on and off with the application of that. Um, and then, you know, now I find myself here, and I'm like, no, you can't lose your salvation. Um, but uh, you no, know, I've talked to people who have said, you know, who have rededicated their lives, let's say, and they said, you know. During my time away, um, you know, I don't know if God ever left me. They're like, you know, I, there were times I felt like God was with me or he was guarding me or, you know, it just it just never left my mind. It felt like it was always there, like God was always there. And I just have to wonder, like, did you ever lose your salvation? If God was with you that close and though you've, you felt like he was there in a certain steps of your life, did you really lose? Like, can you lose something like that? But then you also have people who, you know, you know, again, rededicate their lives. And it's like, there's a complete transformation of that person. And you're like, okay, did you have real genuine faith the first time? Like, because there wasn't, there might not have been much change at all. And then you're like, okay, maybe this is when they've actually been saved. They truly, honestly get it this time around. And I think one of of the things we often overlook, um, and you know, I, I do this as well as I don't, sit down and contemplate enough the mercy and grace and patience of God, right? And I'll I'll come right back to the New Testament. Look at Peter, right? Here's a guy who who said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, right? And what did he do? He denied him three times, right? And then what did Jesus do? He reinstated him three times, right? And so... Let's let's also take, you know, Peter's... uh you know, his dream in the book of Acts about the sheep with, you know, unclean animals coming before him, the voice of God saying, eat. And Peter said, Lord, I, I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm a true Jewish person. I would never eat unclean food. And, uh, 
God has to repeat three times to Peter this dream and say, do not say, no, do not say what is unclean, what God has made clean. So basically, you know, like Peter took a while sometimes to get, get the point across. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, so just to like, think back again to the example, I'm going to more or less take, I think the position that Adam has, has come to when it comes to that example of somebody who, who was there for a while, isn't, and and then is again. Mm -hmm. But, but before I say anything, I'm just going to say like, that's a hard, like, that's a hard question to answer. Um, because there's a lot of biblical, um, language and text that, that talks about faith being also coming along with works and things like that. So if people are actually producing the fruit, but then all of a sudden aren't, then, then what do you do? So it's, it's a hard question. Um, and for, for my understanding, I come to the conclusion that there's, there's kind of, when somebody drops out, they either weren't saved in the beginning or, um, they're just going through a really rough patch and they will come back eventually. Um, God will do, God will work, but they, but I don't think there's a, there's a way that you can lose it. And, and part of the reason I think that, that it doesn't really make any sense to, to lose it is because if you, if you think that way and you're being consistent, you're actually changing the gospel, right? Because essentially what you're saying is if, if I stop doing something, then I'm no longer saved, whether that's same with lip service who Jesus is, whether that's going to church, whether that's doing churchy things like being a part of the music team or, or praying a lot or reading your Bible. Ultimately, you're saying, if I stop to do, if I stop to work, if I stop doing these things, then I must have lost it. So in order to get it, you're, you're basically saying that you need to do, like th there's grace, there's, there's faith, but then there's also works. It's, it's up to you. And I don't think that's the gospel. Yeah, I don't think the gospel is essentially saying, you know, you place your faith in God, God saves you, you know, because no one would argue with that, like mm -hmm. in the evangelical circle, that God saves you. But it's on you to keep it. Right. Like, and I think, uh, I think we should probably try to be a little bit more consistent about the definitions we began with. And I think it's really good that we kind of set these down at the beginning. We talked about... Salvation being centrally an alteration of your heart, mm -hmm. yep. a change in your, I, I would say, a change in your affections, uh, a fundamental alteration of the way you see yourself, the world, and God. Yep. And that is in your heart. Yep. And, and here I don't mean the physical thing that pumps blood, I mean the center of your soul. Uh, now, the difficulty is, I think that we forget that when we talk about salvation or perseverance of salvation because the example that matt gave we it's going to be really really hard for us to answer what his question is because he didn't tell us whether or not the person's heart was actually changed mm -hmm. and so the central defining characteristic by which salvation is determined was not talked about so and that's why I would answer it, the question when, it, uh, did they come back or did they, the answer is I don't know. It's going to depend on some, on a lot of things and I might get more information from them later. Yeah. I mean, as, uh, as an elder of a local church, I've had the uh, blessing of seeing baptized both versions of the person. 
in one case, we recommended that the person not get baptized again because they were still a believer since uh, for the whole time. <laughs> Uh, they had had the they their experience was they kept trying to run from God and God didn't let them run like Jonah yeah except Jonas Jonah at the end of the book doesn't seem to be very no he doesn't get the point <laughs> yeah um, but to, to talk about you know the, can we lose our faith essentially can we lose our salvation mm-hmm. uh, the scripture that uh, a lot of people use to to support that um, that you can usually goes back to Hebrews six. Uh, so Hebrews 6, verse 4 says, For it is impossible to renew repent, to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. So that's the you know, main number one passage you would likely be taken to to support the fact that you cannot lose your salvation. Um, that you can or you can't? That, 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 that you can lose your salvation. Right. Um, so judging by the fact that you've said you can't lose your salvation, how do you deal with it? So um, actually, you know, coming again, coming from a denomination that, uh, you know, taught this and you know i i had to figure this out for myself right then what does what does scripture say um and it would seem that the writer here is being a little more rhetorical they're more or less uh confirming to the person that no you haven't lost your salvation they're saying in order to actually think that you've lost your salvation you would have had to do all of these things basically you know commit apostasy completely turn your back on god and you go down to verse 9, and it says, Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better and that pertain to your salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. So, like, basically, they're, they're reassuring the people that they're writing to and saying, You haven't lost your salvation. God is God is not just going to all of a sudden forget the works that you've done. Maybe it was someone that had, you know, walked away for a bit and they were wondering, like, where do I find myself now? But basically what they're saying is like, no, you like you would have to do all of these things. But that's not the case here. It's like God's not going to God's not forgetting what you've done and what you're doing. Right. Like you still have your salvation and it's not based on you. It was never based on you in the beginning. Though that that said, I mean, there is kind of a thing that's enjoined in scriptures all over the place that we should test ourselves to see that we remain in the, that we are in the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the simple fact is, we can take things for granted. And on the other end, it's possible to be very, very, very self deluded. I mean, as I kind of explained, my my personal distaste with a certain type of theology mm-hmm. is that it actually makes you more uh, more misunderstanding of your own position, uh, more self-deceived, because the jo- it's actually trying to deceive you. It's trying to say, because you've got these feelings, you must be saved. And then, you know, when the feelings go away, oh, well, I guess you're not saved anymore. And then when the feelings come back, oh, I guess you're saved again. 
Yeah, or even to what Dave was saying, you know, um, you don't go to church for a while or you don't read your book Bible for, oh, I guess I, guess I lost it. I, I better, yeah. you know, fix I mean, that. And, and of course, there's uh, the wreckage all over the place of uh, lots of people who have, you know, I don't know, uh, done some kind of sin that their local denom- their local church couldn't find acceptable, uh, couldn't find uh, in their heart to ever forgive, mm-hmm. and so that they're they're completely lost, or they imagine that they're completely lost because of this one sin that couldn't be forgiven, whatever that one sin is. We can discuss the unforgivable sin in enough future podcast, <laughs> but I don't think it's, for example, having seen a movie. No, or, you know, uh, I mean, again, this is a long, a long time ago, like early, early um, thought that, you know, when, let's say you weren't allowed to go to movie theaters, right? Yeah. Like, that was like, and all of a sudden, if, you know, the rapture happened, if you believe in a rapture. Um, another podcast. Yeah, another podcast. Um, that, you know, you wouldn't be raptured as if a theater is rapture proof. I just keep imagining people floating up, hitting the ceiling. God's like, oh, darn, they're in a theater. I can't get them. Like, that, yeah. it, just, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. Same thing as how can we as human beings, one, we couldn't fix our problem of sin. God, again, had to fix that, make us, you know, reconcile us to himself while we're still enemies. What makes us think that we can change that after we've gone to him, that we can make ourselves dead again, that we can make ourselves enemies again? And, of course... Uh, the, that doesn't change the fact that you can actually be self-deceived. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I mean that's uh, we've we've all seen the examples of people who have been quote unquote Christians, and in some cases very uh, high level types of Christians who uh, you know leave the faith for any number of reasons. Uh, um, Charles Templeton, uh, Josh Harris. Uh, lots of guys have done. I mean, they've been in leadership roles within churches yeah. and have left the church. Now, just saying that they've no longer that they no longer believe this stuff. Now, of course, the question is going to be: Were they actually saved? Or, and I mean, this would ta- this is between them and God, and I really can't comment uh, pointedly. But mm-hmm. it is possible to be deceived about what you what you're really believing here. Yeah, I think that's important what you said. You know, as Scripture says, to check ourselves. You know, um, I was told once that, you know, a great way to see if you're maturing or growing spiritually is to look at the fruits of the Spirit. And, you know, am I more patient than I was when I got saved? Uh, and even more than just last year, am I more loving? Um, am I producing the fruits? Am I becoming more Christ-like? And, I mean, that should be a check that we do on ourselves. Uh, again, it's not, and our salvation doesn't rest on us, but we do have a responsibility to live by the Word of God. Amen. To, to follow what it says, to live by the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, and to do His work. That, that, that's, that's our responsibility in this, is to live as God would have us to live. And we have the ability to do that after we place our faith and we are regenerated. I want to come back to Hebrews 6. Okay. Can we do that for a second? Depends yeah. on why you want to come back to Hebrews 6, but sure. Well, so I get irked when when we cherry-pick passages and build doctrines off a single passage, right? So like Adam, you were saying, a lot of people will go to Hebrews 6 and build this doctrine of apostasy and uh, based on, you know, two verses. And 
And this is what I love about expositional preaching, right? You, you don't preach an entire doctrine off, off a single passage, right? So when you look at the flow of, of how Hebrews 6 is uh, laid out, the, the author, of, like you look back uh, earlier in Hebrews and you hear things like Christ entered the inner sanctuary and offered sacrifices once and for all, right? And so what the author is doing here when you read the flow, he's just calling his readers or his audience to spiritual maturity because Christ offered sacrifices once and for all. We can have the confidence that he is the sure anchor of our soul, right? Yeah. That our salvation is found in him. Well, I mean, just to accent what you're saying from from Hebrews 6, I mean, uh, just to continue from what uh, Adam was saying from verse 9, you know, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we, sh- we, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And then talks about, you know, those kinds of things that, you know, it's not, be- he, he will remember what you are, the, the, the earnestness with which you serve and the desire that you want to follow through. But he says then, so that you may not be sluggish, or actually, sorry, I'll start with, go back to verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then it goes right into an explanation of God's promises Mm -hmm. to Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So the idea in Hebrews 6, I don't think, is saying, you know, be careful, you might commit apostasy. It's be careful that you stay in the faith and that you are actually giving the kinds of works that match faithfulness because God is faithful and he fulfills his promises. Yeah, I think the author is using a hypothetical situation to say this is what happens if it were to happen, but it can't because Christ died once and for all offering sacrifices and you put your faith in Christ's atoning death and you are saved. It's that easy. So I think it's just weird. Well, maybe. I mean, I do think that there are people who I mean, who come to some form of of faith and this again is one of my personal distastes with uh, for some forms of 19th century revivalism because they get this kind of inoculation against the faith. They believe they've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And their, their saving faith was, uh, I heard 14 versions of uh, just as I am. And because of that, I am now, a, uh, I, I felt really, really positive and came forward <laughs> at the end of a service. And then later they find out that, no, I'm not really into this whole Jesus stuff. But then when somebody comes at them later with the full gospel, telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ being saved through faith, a faith that changes your heart from within and leads to sanctification, they'll say, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt because they think they have been there. But the real fact is, they haven't because their faith was in something else. And so because of that, they have it, it's harder for them to return to a saving faith because they they think they knew. 
And I mean, all of us have this weird arrogance about the places we once were. I imagine that because I am no longer X and am now Y, that Y is a superior position to what I was in X. Mm -hmm. And that's not always true. Yeah, uh, for the argument that you can lose your salvation, you know, people do reference more than just that verse. Like it's just not built just off those two passages, totally. two verses. But that is like the main meat of what what they try and say is that you know, look here, this is saying, you know, this is how you lose your faith. But again, it's more of a reassurance: is that you haven't done these things. You're not going to do these things. You cannot undo what God has done. And you know, God is faithful, but we also have that uh, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Yeah. Jesus is the author of our faith and the perfecter, which means he will see it through to the end. For I am confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Exactly. He That's will see in the it book through. somewhere, right? <laughs> Whoever wrote that is genius. I think it's Philippians one. Um, <laughs> or if we're gonna spew off passages, John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I mean, there's lots of different places that we can find verses that. I mean, all of, basically most of First John, this entire book that talks again, about assurance. Right? Again, from from arguing from the other side, you know, it says I will never cast out, but they would say, well, I'll cast myself out, or. I'll, I can walk away from it. Yeah, but you don't get to. And so <laughs> I, would, I would pose the question, like, so is God's ability to save you not effectual? Like, can he not save you? Can and he not? You see, there it comes you? in the big central question. And this is probably a question that's bigger than this podcast because we've already gone 55 minutes now. But the question is whether or not my decisions uh, hamper or alter the, the acts of God. Now, that's going to be a big question, and, you know, I probably not something to deal with here. But I would also question, and I mean, my big question with people who say that you can lose your salvation is uh, to not call it salvation, but to say that I am saved. Now, grammatically speaking, that's a passive construction. If you're going to refer to this as a passive construction, namely something that happens to you, not I saved myself, which would yep. be the active form, but if I am saved, the passive form, I'm not the one doing it. Mm -hmm. And so in order for me to get out of my salvation, I would have to be able to forestall the hand of whoever it is that's doing the saving. And biblically speaking, we say that's God. Mm -hmm. yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a bit of a problem. And and going back to like, I mean, maybe this could be a future podcast discussion on that big question, but I think that's part of the reason, like just to make all of this theological conversation a little bit practical, is like when we're talking about salvation and the theology of it, it plays out in how we do things like evangelism, how we tell people about Christ. Mm -hmm. Because if if the answer to Steve's big question is it's just about making a decision, then why aren't we doing everything we can to make people make decisions? Right. But if it's not about that, and it's about God working in the heart of the believer through the preaching of the gospel, yep. then why don't we put all of our focus on preaching the gospel? Right? right. And these are big things in evangelism. And of course, the issue then is going to be, 
right now, if you are listening to this podcast and you don't think that you are, in fact, a believer in Jesus Christ, that's going to change the way I, I talk to you right now. I'm going to say either, well, just sit there and pray a prayer in your heart, or what my, my question would be, flee to Jesus Christ. Yes, say a prayer. Yes, talk to him. But seek after him. Find him. Uh, talk to believers. Read your Bible. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a Bible, uh, seriously, phone me. I'll, I'll get you one. Amen. Call Steve. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to give my phone number out, but I can be gotten, gotten in contact with at www.myonemission.ca. Hey, just a, one final thought. As you were talking about you know, the passive construct and you know, the whole grammar behind I am saved and I save myself, you know where my mind went? Trying to figure out how to make sozo into the passive <laughs> You construct. did too much Greek, dude. Sozestai? So you, you know where my mind went? I'm not sure went? how it would work. Where? Why can't you run in campgrounds? You can only ran because it's past tense. So I think it's time to clue up. Um, <laughs> this has been a Modern Mission podcast. So guys, so guys, well, thank you very much for this uh, podcast. Uh, as I said, I, I am actually complete. Uh, I was said somewhat facetiously, but I am actually completely serious about this. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to say. Yes, if you are, if you feel that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and you need to put your faith in it, yes, turn to Jesus right now. Yes, pray to Him, uh, but I'm not going to give you the words for it, and I'm not going to tell you that you're saved by your prayer. You're saved by the Christ, and in whom you're putting your faith. Yeah. And if you need more information, if you want more stuff, www.mileonemission.ca. You can contact any of us, and we will find a way to get the gospel out to you. We will talk to you about it, whatever. Or on Facebook. We're also on Facebook. Oh, yeah. We apparently were also on Facebook. Uh, Actually, I think we're also on Instagram and Twitter. Yep. But in any of those cases, we're willing to talk, and the gospel is that important. So, yeah. Um, Any final thoughts, guys? Well, to clear it up, uh, salvation is, you know, God saving us from our sin, from eternal spiritual death and damnation through the death, death of Jesus Christ who we place our faith in. We are saved from a multitude of things and that salvation does not rest in us and that's beautiful news because we are going to screw up every day but we can rest in the truth that God has saved us. Amen. have been listening to Rugged Theology, a podcast of Mile One Mission. Mile One Mission can be reached at mileonemission.ca. We exist to plant gospel-believing churches in St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada.